Warning, All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. And what I do now is I start out by distinguishing between the, the sewer and the abyss. So people say, where do you work? I go, well, where the sewer intersects with the abyss, right? So if you can imagine the sewer sort of flowing vertically mm-hmm. and it's it's full of body parts and um, shit and piss and used tampons and condoms and disgusting things, boogers, syringes, you'd throw it in there. Anything that is abject, right? Right. It's flowing this way. But the abyss is like this endless vertical fall into blackness that cuts through it. And where I set up shop is where those two things intersect. And a lot of what people focus on is the sewer. You know, they're going like, oh, gross, like the guy got his head cut off or really you you saw someone disemboweled or mm-hmm. he he had bottles full of piss all around his room room like with that right but when i'm speaking with any police officer or, or officers in training i say you guys are already acquainted with that just through natural causes you know just being called into a scene and there's a somebody who has been rotting for two weeks inside their apartment in the summer, right? You guys, if you're still cops, are well acquainted with the sewer. That's not the problem here. The problem is the abyss, and that's the existential element of it. Dr. Lee Meller, welcome to All Things Crime. Thank you for having me, Jared. And thank you for being on my show, Murder Was the Case. I like this relationship we have going. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's uh, it, All Things Crime couldn't be complete without a, a, good, a good discussion with Dr. Lee. I have to agree with you on that one. I'm <laughs> a bit unique. <laughs> yeah, no, being on your show was fun too. So this kind of relationship is always productive, especially when we have, yeah, there, I mean, there's all sorts of crime shows out there and promoting each other is, can only be mutually beneficial. So I'm all over it. Absolutely. So shall we get into the weeds? Please. Yeah. All right. So let me, let me just give you a quick introduction. For those of you that don't know, uh, Dr. Lee Meller is, this guy is one that you absolutely are going to love to hear from because He's not only a homicide and not only just homicide, but abnormal homicide and sex crimes expert. He's a PhD. Man, he's, a, he's an author, podcaster, and MMA enthusiast. So uh, what, what, else, what else can we possibly boost you up with there, Dr. Lee? One-time singer-songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> which which explains the, uh, the bandana, the, the t-shirt, and the beard, right? Yeah, I can never rock the straight look. It's really strange. Whenever I try to look like, uh, say, a professional, I just don't seem right to myself. And I don't think if people are being honest that I seem right to them. But whenever I look like you've seen me as a cowboy or you've seen me sort of more like piratey, bikery right now, for some reason it just works. So I just stick with it. Oh, it's, it's not part a of your statement. persona, man. We got to have it. <laughs> got to have yeah. it. Yeah. 
but it's odd because I mean, I'm sure it supposedly communicates something, but I'm not doing it as a statement. It's just, you know, you kind of look at yourself in the morning and you go, I don't like the way that guy looks, but then I twiddle a few things and okay, now I like this. <laughs> this is what it turns out to be. Ah, you know what? If people don't like the way you look, then um, they're missing the whole point, man. Well, I always say it's a test, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody can't get past your facade, then they're probably not the sort of person that you want to be collaborating with because it's the content of the character argument, the Martin Luther King thing. And I think that extends beyond politics, race, whatever. It's really, who do you want to associate yourself with? If someone can't get past the fact that the guy is wearing a bandana and has a big ass beard, if that's what stops them, that's probably not going to be a very good partner in any sort of relationship. Oh, totally true. Yeah. You know, especially everybody has a persona out there. And for the most part, we all kind of shield ourselves, you know, get a, develop some kind of a little safety net around us. And I think that is partially because maybe we're a little more insecure on the inside, but ultimately I think it's got to be you be you. And then we'll get into, you know, how we benefit each other. And, and that's, that's, to me, that's really actually a very good segue because I'll tell you what, the, the first time we met, I think it was what, five years ago at the ASOC conference? Six, I believe. Six. Yeah, man, the time flies. So six years ago at ASOC, and uh, for those that don't know, ASOC is the American Investigative Society of Cold Cases, a fantastic group that these guys uh, all donate their time. They come in and they help investigators evaluate different cases that have gone cold for various reasons and offer their expertise in helping to solve these cases. And uh, they invited me out to show the MBAC system to them. And uh, the first time I, I presented that was right after your presentation. And then you were doing it on serial sex offenders. And I'll tell you what, I've never been so uh, off my game. <laughs> that, that had to be the most disturbing uh, presentation I've ever sat in. And so it's the, the, the whole ring. I, the whole reason I bring up your, your appearances today and it's, you know, it's today for me, but it's tonight for you. I know you're, you're in the UK tonight. So I, I appreciate you yeah. taking, taking the time for me, but that stuff. An expert on deviance is going to look like a deviant. If you want a real expert. <laughs> that's what, let's just cut to the chase. That's what we're getting. Yeah. At, right? All right. We're talking okay. about real deviance here, but the, the point is, your level of expertise compared to, you know, what people may uh, perceive from you. Like if I, if somebody just met you on the street or saw you in a bar or something, they would never know you are such an expert on uh, these abnormal homicides and, and sex crimes. What's interesting is if I'm at a party or something and we've all had a few drinks and somebody finds it out and they're like, Oh, cool. Tell me about what you do. <laughs> And then I give them a, a succinct explanation and they're like, oh, well, you know, have you met, you know, a serial killer or like, have you, and I'll just say to them, this is probably not the place for us to be discussing this, but then you get the ones that keep knocking on the door and like, all right. And you open it up and you start letting all the monsters and the blood and the guts come pouring out. And then it turns out that you were right. They didn't want to talk about it at that <laughs> party at that particular point yeah. in time. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the majority of society honestly doesn't want to know. You know, they do you? they they want to. Um, well, of course they do. I mean, it's everybody has their own little uh, happy life, and to to know that there's those kind of monsters and and people out there. I, I think the vast majority, of course, there's always the true crime folks that we get into it. And those of us that are actually in the forensics industry and law enforcement and things. Uh, so there's a lot of true crime fans now, right? So oh, sure. I've often wondered if it's more that they don't want you to know that they do want to know. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I mean? Because there's something about that. It's like admitting a taboo. And I think it's becoming more and more normalized. So people are more comfortable saying like, oh, yeah, I watch those true crime shows. And you now I listened to an episode about dismemberment and it was fascinating. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, maybe dial it back um, 10 years, 20 years, something like that. And that was almost something to be closeted. And even the medium of true crime was treated that way. You would have excellent books, not exactly true crime, but say like Mind Hunter or whoever fights monsters, and they'd be selling them in these paperbacks for like $9.99, right by the Harlequin romance novels or whatever. It was almost <laughs> considered to be base, like below intellectual, when in reality, what those guys were writing about and you know what they were beginning to delve into belonged at a university level, but was written for a popular audience, was written accessibly, right? So I think people do want to know, fundamentally, I think they do. I think it's kind of the, they don't want to see the victims of a car crash, but everybody slows down to see it. I'm Mike Morford, and I've been researching the Zodiac case for years. Zodiac, just the name. It sounds sinister. It inspires fear. The fact that a serial killer would give himself this moniker is disturbing. He would go on to taunt police by sending letters and codes to newspapers for years. And the attacks, they were something else altogether. If you were a young couple in a secluded area, you could easily be a target. And it wasn't just shootings on dark lovers' lanes. Zodiac would even attack with a knife in broad daylight while wearing an executioner-style hood. After a while, Zodiac changed tactics and even lone cab drivers weren't safe. The Zodiac Killer terrorized the San Francisco Bay Area and then vanished, but he left a lot of clues behind along the way. Clues that we're going to examine closely on the new podcast, Zodiac Speaking. New episodes of Zodiac Speaking come out every other Saturday starting March 13, 2021. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. Well, and the car crash victims are far worse than murder victims because I've seen a lot of crime scene photos and such. I have uh, Spitz and Fisher's pathology textbook. You probably met uh, Werner Spitz at, through ASOC, right? It's like this thick. Mm -hmm. And you see someone who's been stabbed nine times. Okay, that's something that you get used to very quickly if you have the constant. But at the same time, I'll see someone who died at like a fairground and got mangled up by the gears or was in an auto crash. And for me, those things always seem to be more disturbing. And mm -hmm. so this whole endeavor of exploring this area has given me a completely different take on life and death. So most people are terrified of being murdered or being killed, you know, by somebody else. They mm -hmm. think, that's the last way I want to die. But then you actually become acquainted with it and you're like, well, you know, that's a fairly 
quick death, to be honest, compared to watching people die of natural causes. Mm. If you've been around enough people and you see someone slowly rot away of cancer, and if you're a certain age, you've watched multiple people suffer that fate now. And yes, there is something truly horrific about someone coming for you and maliciously wanting to take your life away. But when you look at it from a suffering point of view, unless you fall into the hands of one of like the real dark, 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 dark hearted, sexually sadistic figures I talk about, I don't know. I'm not sure that it scares me more than the cancer. Well, I'll tell you, you just really hit home with me because uh, my dad, who was the actual inventor of the MVAC, uh, died of a glioblastoma. And he, he was diagnosed in 2008 and, but he didn't die until 2009. I wish you could have met him because he grew up on a ranch, was uh, active his entire life. You know, the toughest guy, he, he was one of those that uh, if there was a job to do out on, you know, digging a ditch, for example, he could do it nonstop for as, until the job was done. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. the way he was raised and just one of those tough as nail types. And yet uh, over the period of about 10 months, that cancer, and actually it wasn't even the cancer as much as it was the cancer treatment, uh, yeah. just ate him away. And it, it was, I don't know, in some ways I was fortunate because I was so busy trying to uh, fill his shoes as the president of MVAC Systems and trying to keep the company afloat that, uh, you know, I was traveling a lot to these conferences and, and trying to get the, the, you know, we only launched the MVAC in 2007. Mm. And so the company was still relatively young and we were just, just barely getting it out there. So long story short, uh, I, w- I wasn't around as much as some of my siblings and my mom certainly was to just watch this day after day suffering that you're talking mm. about. And, and I, I, so yes, I a hundred percent agree with you. There's worse way to die than, than being stabbed to death, for example. And, and it's like, yeah. yeah, there's, it's short and quick and being stabbed. I know I, I can't fathom the pain and, uh, and the intensity of it, but I would take that over being, uh, laying on my bed, literally. I mean, he, he probably lost a hundred pounds yeah. by, the, by the time he, he passed away. And it was just, just watching that. And especially as, as a scientist, and he was just a brilliant inventor. And to have a glioblastoma had to be the worst because his scientific mind just wasn't functioning right. And so oh, yeah. his, his ability to, to uh, conceptualize and, and move through problem solving, things that he used to do his entire life. Uh, and he was only 65. So That's what scares me. I'm known for having a really good memory. Mm -hmm. And I think it picks up the slack for a lot of things I don't do so well. And it's like, you know, the minute that starts to go, that's, that's pretty terrifying. Um, What I was sort of getting at is, and Mm -hmm. I start teaching now, I mean, I was in Utah training some officers there, I think around your area. And what I do now is I start out by distinguishing between the, the sewer and the abyss. So people say, you know, where do you work? I go, well, where the sewer intersects with the abyss, right? So if you can imagine the sewer sort of flowing vertically mm-hmm. and it's, it's full of body parts and um, shit and piss and used 
tampons and condoms and disgusting things, boogers, syringes. You'd throw it in there. Anything that is abject, right? Right. It's flowing this way. But the abyss is like this endless vertical fall into blackness that cuts through it. And where I set up shop is where those two things intersect. And a lot of what people focus on is the sewer. You know, they're going like, oh, gross. Like the guy got his head cut off or really you, you saw someone disemboweled or mm-hmm. he, he had bottles full of piss all around his room, like with that, right? But when I'm speaking with any police officer or officers in training, I say, you guys are already acquainted with that just through natural causes, you know, just being called into a scene and there's a, somebody who has been rotting for two weeks inside their apartment in the summer, right? You guys, if you're still cops are well acquainted with the sewer. That's not the problem here. The problem is the abyss and that's the existential element of it. And that's the, that's almost more difficult to encapsulate, but it's the, the why, you know, why would someone beat someone to death because it's funny? And that is the depth of the reason that, you know, that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I came to realize is there may be layers and layers and layers that the perpetrator is unaware of as to why they may have done a certain thing, but they're not cognizant of what it is. Sometimes it's just, she pissed me off. So I strangled her and, you know, I said, bitch, I didn't want you, you know, I said, bitch, I don't want you to leave. And she left. So I strangled her, you know, and, and like, that's it. That's the level of insight. And there's something about that, that when we think of, say someone like a, a serial killer or a really depraved murderer, it's like, we want to think that there's all these layers because then somehow it'll make more sense of it. Like a Hannibal Lecter, this really evil genius that there's this grand design behind his violence. But when you realize that it has less sense than most of the mundane things that people do on a day-to-day life, I think that's when things like the abyss hit you. When you go, how can life be worth that little to someone, how can so many people suffer with that little thought or for so little reason? And I think that's the stuff that creeps up on police officers and psychologists. And you'll hear, you know, after years on the job, all of a sudden they have a breakdown and PTSD. Trust me, it's not from looking at the sewer. It's from, it's from delving into the abyss. It's from Mm. spending too much time in the abyss. So yeah, that's how I'd like to start my lectures. And then I say, okay, so now I'll be doing both. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. So when you talk about the abyss, are you talking more about uh, what motivates people to commit these crimes? Yeah. Or almost in some ways, like the lack of what motivates them. Uh, and trust me, there are plenty of motives, but sometimes they're just so superficial. You know, it, that's what I was sort of getting at. I remember going in to meet my first serial killer and I had a number of hypotheses already laid out. Uh, Judging by what our mutual colleague Cloyd had told me, I knew this man would probably be psychopathic and that therefore therefore he would act 
in a certain way and that I would have to respond in a certain way toward that. And I was on top of that. I studied for that. And, you know, you learn as you go. I also knew he was likely a sexual sadist, that that's somebody who gets off watching somebody else or listening to somebody else suffering, humiliated, afraid. But what I don't think I was ready for was the shallowness of the explanation. You know, well, why is it that you like to watch women's eyes bulge out while you strangle them? Why does that sexually arouse you? It just does. And then going, okay, but what isn't he telling me? What aren't you telling me about it? Because I know there's more to it. And then maybe they'll say something like power. And then people will try and take that and run with it like it's some great explanation. But you know, power underpins so much of what motivates all of us to do things. You know, Power and control are fundamental that everyone strives for in life. So even that's a, a shallow explanation. And then like looking into that and going like, well, could I explain my own sexuality, my own completely vanilla sexuality? Like, Lee, why do you like breasts? Well, like, I can describe them for you, but can I tell you why I like it? Can I tell you why it turns me on? And then going, that's the same with him with watching their eyes bulge out as he strangles them. And that's the kind of thing I'm getting at with the abyss. These little realizations about the nature of man that I think occur to you, like the senselessness of it all. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.